I just don't think a man ought to have to preach after Danelle gives those exhortations and he's playing like that. Do you guys feel any compassion for me at all? I mean, good job. Thank you, Rob. You guys appreciate Rob. He's, he's, he's gifted. Good job, man. Hey, let's open our Bibles and get right to it. I was a bad boy. If you had a hard time getting into the parking lot, uh, that's my bad, my fault completely. I got nuts in the last uh, service. So I'm going to be, um, well, no, I'm not really probably going to be more respectful in this one, but um, I'll try to get you out of here on, on time. Let's go to Psalm uh, 23, please. If you have your Bible or you want to read along, I'm sure it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, and I want I to talk to you today about something that's pretty important, and uh, I feel kind of an urgency about it. So let's go right to the Word, read the first part of Psalm 23. Some of you probably have it memorized. I'm reading from the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We stop right there, couldn't we? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That's where we're going to park it. He refreshes my soul. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit uses a certain word in, in the original language because he's trying to make a point. For a lot of your, in a lot of your Bibles, the word there is he restores my soul. Well, that's probably closer, but both refreshes and restores can be misunderstood. Uh, what, what's not being said here is that this is like some short-term inspiration, that this is like watching Rudy or Braveheart or something, you know, that just encourages you and excites you. It's like, you know, it, it's like just a, a good little coach's exhortation that gets you pumped up. That, that's, that's not what's being discussed here. The, the, the word actually is a word that has to do with a bird, believe it or not. The Hebrew is very graphic and pictorial. And it's basically you've got a bird in your hand, it flies away, and then it comes back. And, and, and that's what the word means. The, it, probably the sentence ought to be, he brings my soul back. That's probably how it ought to be. Not, not so much restores it, not so much refreshes in the sense of you know, feeling good, having a cold drink of water on a hot day, but he, he brings it to what it's meant to be. He restores it back to what was intended. Now, it's a very important thing for us to talk about today because the Bible makes clear that as we live in this world, things are happening to our souls that can diminish us, damage us, wound us. One of the Bible's favorite words is to crush our spirit. You've read that phrase before. And uh, we even, the Bible even makes clear that as you do certain things in your, maybe your sinful life before Jesus or since, like I, I, you know, I didn't, the day I got saved, I wasn't perfect, I continued to do things I shouldn't have done, you lose pieces of yourself. You lose who you really are. Some of you have been through traumas and you know you're not the same. You're not, you're not the same as you were before that. You, you, you lost part of yourself and you don't seem to have it back. Or, or it, it can happen in sexual things. It can happen in drug things. It can happen in dramatic things. It can happen in divorces. It can happen as, as you go through life. It can happen just through the normal wear and tear of busyness and strain. That you, that you are drained, that you lose part of yourself, that you are uh, crushed or bruised. And the answer for that in the scriptures, is not just a short-term exhortation. It's not just a short-term inspiration. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like somebody going into a hospital for cancer. The doctor says, we're going we're gonna to watch some exciting movies here, and I'm going to give you a pep talk, and you go out, and you'll be fine. No, no. There's something deeper that's got to be done. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. And 
I, I, I believe that some of us, many of us this morning, are living in a condition that God uh, wants to rescue us from. His kindness is being extended to us. He wants to rescue us from it. Um, I, like a lot of you, I fly a lot, and so I hear them say almost every day, um, if the plane's going down, put your oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else, right? You, you, you've heard that, right? Well, there's, there's a sense in which some of us are so given to duty and responsibility and the things we have to do in this world that that combined with the blows we've sustained, we're living out of a soul that is not restored, that is not full, that is not brought back to what it's meant to be. It's maybe drained and dry. It's maybe wounded and hurt. It's maybe lesser than what God ordained. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm saying what might be necessary for some of us, the key for some of us today might be that we take a step back from the press of doing and responsibility, and we do what that video on that plane says, get your own oxygen going first. Get your own sustenance happening first. Tend yourself first. I'm not saying dump everything else. Some of the men are going to call me and say, you, you don't know what you've created over here. I got kids who won't mow the yard. I got, you know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you cannot live full out all the time and never allow the restoration process that living in this world requires. And if you will allow the restoration process, the restoration that God as the good shepherd uh, says he wants to do in Psalm 23, well, then actually less can be more. I, I used this illustration in the last service. I was out in the woods once at a kind of a camp once, and they handed me an ax, and I went to chopping like a crazy man on a log. And then a girl about half my size walked up, took one swing with an axe, and cut that log in half. You, you can imagine, I'm a male. You know how I felt. I mean, I just humiliated, right? So eventually I got my courage to ask her what the deal was. She said, well, we gave you a flattened axe. Um, actually, mine was sharp. So, you know, trying to, trying, to, trying to wound a man is what they're trying to do. And that's exactly what some of us are doing. We are, you know, that Bible principle, when the, when the axe is sharp, the work is less. Some of us are hacking away at life with an inner life that's not fully restored. It takes more effort. There's resentment that can come in. And it affects everything we do. I want you to understand today, I'm not just talking about your spiritual life. I'm talking about everything you do. Listen, listen to this verse, Proverbs 4 and verse 23. I think it's an accurate translation. It says, above all, Guard your heart. Now, you've heard that before, but listen to how it ought to conclude. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. There's a connection between the state of your soul and the creativity you use at your graphic design company. There's a connection between the state of your soul and how you lead, how you parent, how you think, how you create, how you love. Come on. Isn't that true? And so it could be that for some of us, the most loving thing we could do is devote some time to the restoration of our souls in the way that God intends. You cannot live full tilt. And this is not a sermon about, hey, take some time and rest. No, rest won't help what I'm talking about. Restoration helps what I'm talking about. Is the state of the soul that is not in its full strength. It's not... not uh, not restored in the way that God wants to restore it. 
I believe God wants to set us free. I believe God wants to help us. I believe God wants to change us. I believe God wants to restore and do some things deeper than just the inspiration, just, just, just the, the, the momentary word that just gets us through a few days. I think he wants to restore our souls, bring us back to what we're meant to be. And so let's go through a few things that will help us understand this. I want, I want to talk to you about four or five things that will, that will help you open yourself to a fresh work of the Spirit. And, and let me use an image from Abraham's life to sort of set this up. Sometimes in our churches, it's kind of taught this way, uh, that when God's going to do a fresh work of his Holy Spirit, we have, we have no, no role in it. We have no part of it. We just sort of sit there and receive. And, and there certainly is a time for that. That certainly is true. But when Abraham in Genesis 15, you don't have to turn there, when Abraham in Genesis 15 was upset about some things that had to do with his heirs and went before God, he had to do three things. Three things. He certainly had to ask God to act, but he also brought the raw material of the sacrifice and then he had to protect it. And I, and I think that when you're asking the Holy Spirit to do something fresh, that that many times you've got some protection. You've got, you've got to be part of that. You can't just sit back and you've got to clean some things up. You've got to bring the raw material. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about bringing the raw material of the sacrifice that God is going to consume and do a fresh work in, in, in our lives. I, I, I want to just say, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, that for some of us, this is urgent. For some of us, this is really urgent. We really are at the edge. This past uh, couple of weeks ago, I, um, and I, I'm telling this a little out of sequence. I should, should tell this in a few minutes, but... I, I was t my wife is a wonderful lady, and she's a producer and a songwriter, and she's got a lot going right now. She's not, not too much, but just up to the edge. So I won't tell you what the conversation was, but this last week I said something about as heavy as would you pass the salt. And don't, I, no, I cannot do anymore. You know, she just, she's not mean, but she just kind of let, and, and then she realized how silly, you know. But you get to that point, don't you, where you just push to the edge where you, and you feel a little resentment. And if somebody says, could you hand me a pencil, we just about lose it, right? And that's, that's a sign. That's an indicator, okay? So let's go through just four or five things here uh, briefly. One of the great arts of living as a Christian, one of the things we have to learn how to do is to understand that we cannot do everything that needs to be done. You can't, we cannot respond always to need and opportunity. We have to understand the boundaries of God for any season in our lives. And I, I'm aware that I've said this before from this stage, but I, I just sense it with such an urgency for some of us. Psalm 16 says, my boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. The definition of my life, it's not just geographical boundaries, the definition of my life, the field assigned to me, the things I'm responsible for, the things I need to tend, they, they are pleasantly defined. Paul said, I had the, there's a field assigned to me and it includes you Corinthians. And what often happens is a setup from the enemy. That what we do is we get committed to things because we have sympathy or compassion or, or, or because they need to be done and, and, and we, we just mount duty on top of duty on top of duty. And before long, we are way out of our boundaries, way out of the, uh, the, the field assigned to us, way beyond what we have grace for. And then what happens is that emotion that opens the door to so much uh, uh, of what the enemy wants to do, it's resentment. It's resentment of God. He's a harsh taskmaster. We're having to do things. We're tired. We're burned out. We don't want to have to, to do the things that we're, we're, we're given to do. We, th we think it's uh, gone too far. 
I want to tell you something. Almost every major moral crash that I've ever helped with in leadership, both as a guy working in business and in the pastorate, almost every single great crash of a leader has come after a season where they were overextended, burned out, and resentful. Overextended, burned out, and resentful. Now, I know this is not a hallelujah, you know, slap high five kind of sermon. However, I do want you to think about your life. When we get, you know, you can watch an evening of TV and see more needs during the commercials than any nation could meet, right? And, and I knew somebody once that, oh, look, they're, they're hungry and, they're, and would give away their husband's money. And but finally, there had to be like an intervention. You cannot give to every need on TV, right? I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. And a guy would come home and go, Where, where's our money? Well, it, I, uh, the Australians needed some help. And, the, you know, the folk... Uh, and it was sweet, but it was not in boundaries. And what happens is, you know, you know what it's like. You, you attend a church like most of the churches of any size have got so many needs in them that you could kill yourself trying to help with everything. You've got to know what you're assigned to do and live within those boundaries. That's the beginning of success and effectiveness that you're only doing what you're assigned to do. But today I'm really going after something else. It's the living in that resentment that sets you up for the temptations and the anger and the bitterness and the stuff that, that gets us in trouble. Almost every great leader I've known, every pastor that maybe you've read about in the paper, almost every single one of them, as I say, who has ever uh, gone into some weird way and you go, how did brother so-and-so, if you go back, if you roll the tape back, there's exhaustion, there's overextendedness, there's, there's resentment, there's something working beneath the surface that they only identify later. So the beginning of this, the beginning of creating space so that God can restore our souls to what it is that he wants for us to be and bring us back from the damage that's been done to us and the damage of the world and our own uh, ways of living, the beginning of that is that we create some margin, create some space, get in the boundaries God wants us to get in. For some of us, the message of the Lord is, look, less can be more when you're fully restored and engaged. Like that girl, half my size, half my strength with a sharpened axe. I mean, she could do it because it was a prepared tool. And for some of us, our souls have become uh, dulled. Now, number two is equally exciting and happy. Let me talk to you about repentance for just a moment, all right? That always, that always riles folks. In the Bible, repentance is not... Uh, a, a condemning of God of your sins. Not God mad at you because of your sins. In Acts 3 and verse 19, it says that if you will repent, God will send times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is important because that word refreshing, again, it doesn't mean short-term inspiration. It doesn't mean watching an interesting movie, reading a moving poem, uh, having somebody give you a short-term exhortation. It means what the word did in, the, in Psalm 23. A deep restoration of what has been taken from you. See, life, the flesh, the devil, and the world has taken things from your soul. You, you, you know some of it. You don't know all of it. We, we can look and see with our own eyes some of it, the painful things we've been through. We, we've lost part of ourselves. But we don't know all of it. If we will repent then the, the Holy Spirit is able to restore what's been lost. That's the channel. That's the open door that he uses. And these first two go together, as I say, because what happens is that we live an overextended life. We get resentful. Why, why aren't things working right? Why is God extending? Why am I tired? When people get tired, they get resentful and start feeling, start feeling entitled. And if we'll stop the process there and repent, 
then we will, we will find the beginning of the restoration. Sin is like this. I was climbing a mountain with a friend, a bunch of friends at one point, and there was one guy who had all, you know, he's real good shape and had all the right equipment, and, you know, I hated him. And, and uh, you know what I'm saying, just a perfect dude and everyone big. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm like 500 pounds, and I, I could get up the mountain, but just give me time. You just give me time. Don't hustle. So I, the, the, the dude just had to be dealt with. So um, he's always ahead of us. He's always up front. But he has this kind of pack that's got a little opening in it. So along the way, somehow magically, rocks began to show up in his bag. And it was me. I would, every time he'd stop, every time he would put the pack down, I would put a rock in his bag. Because the dude was, I was over him. You know what I'm saying? I was just over his whole... So after a while, I know I'm evil. After a while, he's, he's just breathless going, guys, I'm so, I'm so sorry. And I, for a little while, I went, yeah, what's, you hold this back. Get up the thing. And uh, finally, I told him that he was carrying 50 pounds of rocks. Well, that's exactly what the enemy does. He cannot keep you from being called. He cannot keep you from belonging to Jesus. He cannot keep you from being gifted. But he can sure weigh you down with unrepented sins so you can't climb the mountains you're called to, to climb. And, and uh, he's, he's more evil than I am, believe it or not. He's more evil than I am. And, and so he loads you down. I want to pause right here and say, one of the things mature Christians need to do is be able to recognize the tactics of the enemy. Remember when Paul said, we're not ignorant of his strategies. He gets you tired, he gets you exhausted, he gets you damaged, he gets you resentful. Now, that's when going where you shouldn't go on the internet starts to look good, and you feel a little bit entitled. I, I'm do something. Or the thing at the bottom of the bottle, or the, you know, you know, all the sins we could list. You know, that whatever you're tempted by, whatever the enemy's trying to draw you into, when you're tired, when you're resentful, when you're feeling entitled, that's when he strikes. He, doesn't, he normally doesn't strike two minutes after church. Now he'll strike this morning when your house is trying to get ready for church. You know how that is. That's when the big demons come out before church, when the tie is being chosen. You know how that works. Um, but but he, what he normally does. In fact, the Bible says it very clearly. He, he, he scans to see whom he may devour. And so this issue of your soul being restored, of, of not just a short-term inspiration, but the, but the fixing and the restoration and the rebuilding of who you are on the inside and what you're meant to be that's been damaged and, and, and drained by the life that you've had to live, good and bad, that's, that's what God wants to restore. He wants to go deeper than just a short-term inspiration. There's, a, there's another thing, too, and that is we know, this is number three, we know from the word that the Bible, these are, the Bible is filled with spiritual words. And they, we need to fulfill what Paul told us to do, and that is allow the word of Christ to indwell us richly. Now, some of you are type A driven type of people, types of people like me. You've got your through the Bible in a year plan. I can see your faces right now. You're looking at me like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I actually had for about two years a computer uh, sending me an email with the portions of the Bible that I was supposed to read. I mean, so now a computer is running my spiritual life. That's how, that's how type A I am. You, are, you don't read the Bible. You conquer it. You go from, you're going to get from Genesis to Revelation. You are going to nail that last reading on December 31st. Bless God. I am going to do this if it kills. Well, 
there's a place for that. There's a place for conquering it. Yes, you need to read for information. You need to get through it all. And yes, you have to read Leviticus. You are not getting out of it, okay? But there's also a place. There are also seasons in your life when you need to camp on wherever the juice is. Can I use that word? On whatever is speaking to you and unloading its gifting and anointing and spirit into your life. You need to take the word almost like you're wringing a towel and let all that seep down on the inside of you. I, I understand reading the Bible for, for information. Remember, you know, what I do. I, I sure teach. And I love it all. But there are times you've got to camp. And it, you might, and some of you type A types, God, this may be the disciplines God, you may have to camp on a verse for weeks. I have a friend who, decided, who announced to his church he was going to preach Romans, great big church. took him nine years. I would have preached Romans in three Sundays, baby. We would have been moving through, just get it done. You know what I mean? But he had found some grace and some juice. And, and, and you might need, I'm, I know this is going to cause some of you like mental dysfunction, but you might need to blow up. And just get rid of your through the Bible in the year thing. I can see pain and grief and agony. We're going to have a big old altar call at the end of this thing. Uh, because it could be that God wants you to camp in whatever he's speaking through. And let it, not because we just want to be feely about the word. You understand what I'm saying. We, we, it's, 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 it's revelation. It's information. We need to read it all and digest it. But there are seasons in your life when he's rebuilding you. That whatever he's choosing to camp on, you need to camp on. And not just want to conquer, you know, through the Bible in the year plan so you get your little whatever sticker it is on your purse or your Bible or whatever, your wallet or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Bible camp stuff. So let the word of Christ indwell you richly. Chew on it. Let it live. How is that happening for you? How is that happening for you? That's essential. The, the next thing I want to say is this, and, and it's, it's, I'm not trying to be harsh, the thing that will destroy your soul faster than anything and bring absolute exhaustion to you is strife and bitterness. And the enemy knows this. So just like putting rocks in that guy's backpack, uh, the enemy will give you all kinds of opportunities to be embittered and to be in strife. Why? Number one, the Bible says that strife and bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the energy that works in your life. He is what empowers you. And if, the, and if he's grieved, you aren't going to have that, as Paul said, that energy that works so powerfully within me. But at the same time, there's nothing as exhausting as that. I, I, I have told you before, because I like being just transparent with my church family, I have to watch a, a turning of my soul towards a bitterness and hanging on to offense. My soul sometimes is coated, coated with Velcro. And I can exhaust myself talking to myself about what I'm bitter about. I can take an hour drive and almost want to pull over and take a nap. I have worn myself out so much talking out loud about what I'm upset about. I can watch TV at 6 in the evening about a guy I don't know in a country I can't name about a situation I don't know anything about and be offended by the time the night is over so the Holy Spirit's grieved in my house. Now, that's just stupid. That's just stupid. You guys look at me like, well, you're not saved. That's, that's all there's to it. We all have a bent of the soul like that. But my friends, I'm being a little humorous to lighten it up. But hear me, if you, if you are tend towards strife and bitterness or even the gossipy, angry, bitter talk, you are creating the damage to your own soul. 
I have literally, I say to my shame, gotten in the car and on a two-hour drive to preach the word of Jesus, you know, rehearsed out loud what I'm mad about. When I got there, you, I mean, it wasn't just a matter of not being edified. I had damaged myself. I might just as well have taken a hammer, you know, and just, just you know, beat on myself. And, and, and many of you know what I'm talking about. There's a cycling in your soul of bitterness and anger. It grieves the spirit and it creates, it creates damage to the soul. Repent of it, back it off, change those habits, and Lord, restore my soul. Restore my soul. He wants to do this. It's very important. Okay? Now, the final thing is this. And I, I, I feel this so keenly for all of our, all of our church here. You know, you, 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 you're born in this world. God's got a purpose for you. He's created you. He's made you the way you are with your basic soul and personality. You live in, this, in the world. You do the things that damage a soul. You know, all the different things we can do, relationships and chemicals and you know, crime and traumas and family, all kinds of things. You're already damaged. You come to Jesus. Notice Jesus doesn't fix everything sometimes all at once. He wants there to be. But then, we, then we're sometimes stupid. If you're like me, you get saved, and then you're creating your own hell. You're not going to hell anymore, but you're creating your own hell because you're living unrighteously. That's what I did after I got saved. So now you're continuing to damage yourself. Well, all you've known your whole life is the you in this world. You don't know what God intends. You don't know what God's ultimately made you to be like. He wants to restore you to something you haven't seen of yourself before. What we do is we get to a certain point and we say, I'm good. I'm good. Let me give you an example of what happened. I don't like to preach from things the Lord said to me, but, but here's just a little thing he said to me. Not long ago, I was saying the same thing to, to a friend I've often said to you, and that is I'm an incredibly impatient person. Okay? And I've made peace with that thing in my life. It's actually part of what people actually say. Give it to Stephen. He'll get it done. Why? Because he's impatient. He's got a demon. Let's put a saddle on that demon and ride it to success. You know what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? It's, it's not, a, not necessarily a good thing about me. It's just I'm impatient. Right? Oh, don't look at me. If you guys like, okay. So I've seen you guys. I've seen you guys in the parking lot. So I'm impatient. Okay, let this service go 10 minutes long. Hey, hey, hey. I can see it on your faces. So... We're all impatient, right? I'm just messing around. We're all impatient. Well, what I did was I shook hands with that thing and said, well, come in my house and live. I made peace with something because you know Jesus did not make me to be impatient. That's not my restored soul. That's not who I'm made to be, right? That's not me fully restored uh, to, to what he attended. No, no, no. That's me settling. Uh, John Rohr, uh, you may know, he's got a teaching. One of our teachers in every nation got a, got a teaching. It's called Demons I Have Known and Loved. And his whole point is that the stuff, we, the stuff that needs to change in our life is the stuff we like most, right? I, I like the fact that I'm impatient. I like the fact that I get things done. It's not the will of Jesus. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my restored soul. I've just made peace with it, right? I, 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 maybe I'm just making stuff up now. This is not necessarily true of me. Some of us are, have got the gift of chew out, Right? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, let me deal, let me deal with him. I'll just put me up here. I'll, I'll show him. I'll make him wish he'd never been born. Well, is that a fruit of the Spirit? I don't know. Is that a gift I don't know about? <laughs> what have we done? Oh, no, no, no. I'll take care of this one. I've got friends who talk to me. Hey, no, no, I got this one. You won't, no, you won't be blunt with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him. I'm going to make him wish he'd never messed with us. I'm going, you're born again, spirit-filled Christian, man. What are you doing? Like, Manifesting a demon when you want to, just summon him, you know, bring him, bring him up like Aladdin's lamp, you know. 
You see what's happened? You and I, we've made peace with stuff. Jesus, well, what could I be if I wouldn't shake hands and make peace with the stuff? I, I, you already know, I've, I, I love Danelle and her husband. I think they're awesome. She's amazing. What could she be? See, she's not done yet. He's not done yet. You're not done yet. None of us are done yet. So let's not stop and go, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I sleep pretty well at night, and I, I like the demons I have because they help me, you know, get, get ordered quickly at restaurants or whatever. You know, whatever the thing is, it's how it helps me get a parking space. Or I got a job based on that demon. Don't drive him out, you know. And so you, you see what I mean? How about, how about we get restored to what Jesus made us to be? And you don't know what that is because you've never seen it. We've never seen it, right? You weren't conscious in heaven. You came to earth. You got damaged. Let's ask Jesus to restore our souls and take us to where we need to be. Because let me tell you something. A time is coming. We, I say this all the time. We are about to live through some awesome time in the church. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be great in the world, but the church, the gospel is going to go forward. And there are going to be a lot of people getting saved. A lot of people are going to need our attention. We cannot have a burned out, stressed out, damaged church ready to receive these people. We've got to have people who know how to live within our boundaries, who have dealt with our stuff, and we're letting God restore us fully so we can minister restoration to them. Now, just bow your heads with me, and, and, I'll, and I'll pass it to Danelle. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to do that thing that only you can do as the good shepherd and restore our souls. Bring us back to what you've ordained. We will repent of our sins. We will work against the strife and the bitterness. We will store up the word in our souls. We'll, we'll assemble the raw material of the sacrifice like Abraham did in Genesis 15. But, Lord, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't make ourselves equal to it. We can't make ourselves what we need to be. Fulfill your promise, Lord, and restore our souls from the damage, from the hurt, from the divorce, from the immoral past, from the traumas, from the the physical damages, all the stuff that can create it, Lord, the busted families, all of it, that we know we lost a piece of ourselves. Bring it back so that Jesus can reign to us, we can please you, touch the lives we're ordained to touch. Begin a process, Father. Stir us and keep us from settling and making peace with stuff you want to change. In Jesus' name we pray.